Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Indonesia is celebrating its 75th Independence Day. Richard Borsak, the director of researching Southeast Asia, also the Indonesia correspondent for the Wall Street Journal from 1987 through 1998, is joining us on the line now to give us more insight about that big event that's happening tomorrow. Richard, hello and welcome to Weekend Mornings. Thank you, Glenn. Happy to be here. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Now, you had a, a, an op-ed in yesterday's Straits Times, a full page almost, a full half page rather, on reasons to cheer for Indonesia's 75th Independence Day. What What do you think is the biggest reason that Indonesians will be cheering tomorrow, will be happy tomorrow uh, as they celebrate this, uh, this anniversary? Well, actually, Glenn, the, the cheering is for long-term development, uh, not not the right now or in the last year. Of course, Indonesia is suffering uh, from COVID. Uh, they are not getting on top of it. So the, the mood is, would be pretty somber compared with uh, previous uh, Independence Days, especially compared to the 50th anniversary when two million people packed in for a fireworks show, you know, the complete opposite of social distancing. But the, the two things that I highlight uh, in that article, the long-term changes are a, a shift to democracy compared to the basically one-man rule you had uh, 25 years ago under Suharto, and also a shifting of some power away from Jakarta out to the provinces, what's called decentralization. And what what is the uh, impact of that? Because traditionally, Indonesia has, at least in modern modern Indonesian history, has worked very much from that centralized government kind of top down approach. Now that we're getting out, not now that we're getting out a little bit more dispersed, what is the benefit that's being seen by that? And is that going smoothly? Having that dispersal, I wouldn't say it's going entirely smoothly. It's it's a bumpy road, but uh, this all comes out of uh, major changes, legal changes, which were made right after the fall of Suharto in 98. First, you moved to a direct presidential election, and people were voting for their leader only six years after Suharto's fall. On the decentralization side, this was done to, key reason was basically to help Indonesia stay together and not potentially become uh, an Asian Yugoslavia uh, after uh, the strong man, you know, came down. Uh, there were worries uh, that Indonesia could uh, break up uh, and some parts go off on their own. And, and you undercut this by uh, devolving uh, some powers away from uh, Jakarta, which had dominated uh, basically all decision-making. And you, you kind of empowered uh, local local governments. Uh, this has had a downside, too. Uh, now people say, you know, corruption has been uh, spread out. It's not just uh, uh, in Jakarta. But I'd, I'd like to think that in the long term, it's still a, a, a transformative change to, uh, to uh, not have all decision-making and all funds in the capital. Yeah, I had the, uh, the 
interesting experience of interviewing Ridwan Kamil a number of years ago when he was the mayor of Bandung. And, of course, now he's the governor of West Java and has been for about two years. He seemed to me to symbolize a new breed of politician, uh, Western educated. Uh, He, of course, is an architect by training, um, even has done projects here in Singapore around Marina Bay. Uh, And to talk to him and to see and hear about his vision uh, for Bandung at the time, uh, it really seemed like talking as you talk about this decentralization, he would be one of the key figures in Java, driving some of that decentralization and and some of that, uh, you know, the increase in in the good things that are happening around the country. Would that be a fair conclusion? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, in his case, in particular, he's uh, he's getting uh, good press and uh, good reviews mm. uh, in the fight against uh, COVID, which uh, uh, some people think uh, uh, makes him a a pretty uh, strong possible candidate in 20 for president in 2024 hmm. but he is the kind of person you want to see emerge from a uh, a more you know kind of power sharing uh, uh, indonesia that he is he is uh, a lot of good things have been happening in west java yeah, we're speaking with Richard Borsuk, the director of researching Southeast Asia, a former career journalist who was a correspondent for the Wall Street Journal in Indonesia. And looking at this 75th National Day tomorrow, uh, you mentioned you were at the 50th anniversary in 1995 watching with those two million people, uh, the uh, the fireworks and all of that. Uh, when you look at this arc in the past uh, 25 years or so, so much has changed uh, across Indonesia. But if we bring it to, to today, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has really laid the country low. The numbers that we hear are generally uh, thought to not be accurate, not be all that is uh, that is happening. Uh, we still have international tourism that is not getting into Bali and other resorts, uh, of course, affecting the economy. What what does the way forward right now look, assuming that we stay in kind of a COVID-19 era for another uh, year or so? What is that going to do? What impact will that have on Indonesia? Will they look to expand uh, their economy other ways and, and maybe get away from the kind of foreign influence that has been so important recently? Well, that, that, that covers a lot of ground right there, uh, Glenn. <laughs> the, President Jokowi, in his uh, Independence Day speech on Friday, talked of uh, we need a, a, a reboot and we need to make a, a leap forward although the Indonesian isn't exactly like China's great leap forward. I was going to say, uh, there's yeah, a, yeah. probably wouldn't uh, want to make that comparison. Huh? Yeah, but a big, uh, a big and uh, quick advance, uh, again, transformative. Unfortunately, the, uh, to me, the, the chance of doing that is not very good, although one can understand his, uh, his pushing for it. You are in a bad situation at the moment financially, You've uh, increased government spending a great deal because there's so many people who need help in this COVID period. You've got to hope you can bring in a lot more foreign investment, but uh, you're not going to be able to bring in any foreign investment until foreigners are able to uh, travel to Indonesia and and see. Uh, the, the short-term outlook is not very good, although there are a lot of good people in government uh, uh, trying to do the right things. 
uh, and another issue is uh, uh, the bureaucracy, the, the central bureaucracy is not efficient, not, uh, not geared up to, uh, to make any kind of uh, leap forward. But uh, overall, I think the, the uh, main issue is you don't have the resources to make a lot of changes and to greatly improve your pretty woeful education system and so many things to retool Indonesia for, uh, for a much better uh, economic picture. Yeah, Richard, when you look at the, you know, the plans that had been made to move the capital, uh, that was done sort of last year, mid-last year into late last year. And then, of course, once COVID hit, everything sort of ground to a halt. What do we know about what the thinking is about the timeline for that happening? Or is it just one of those things that's indefinitely on hold, like so many other plans around the region? Right. Well, to me, uh, uh, one kind of silver lining from COVID, I know there aren't many, but hopefully there are multiple ones. One silver lining is that you cannot push ahead this capital, new capital plan very far. Mm. It's, uh, Indonesia cannot afford it now, either in terms of money or the kind of administrative resources that would go into it. This has not been a, a good first year for Jokowi, he's, uh, he had better years uh, mm. before his re-election, so hopefully he's uh, uh, really going to keep that uh, capital on the um, on the capital idea on the shelf and do uh, uh, oversee a much better job of testing and getting on top of uh, COVID as soon as you can, <clears throat> and then work on other parts of your uh, of your reboot. Uh, Richard, as we look toward this 75th anniversary tomorrow, from a business perspective, the uh, business people in Singapore that might be listening, what do the economic opportunities look like in the next, you know, uh, half year, year, year and a half, even given COVID-19? Are there some logical places that Singapore businesses could be involved if they're not already there, uh, even considering COVID-19? Well, I think this, uh, Singapore business has been already very active in uh, sure. uh, Indonesia. They've, they've done, uh, uh, made a, a lot of investments over the years, and they've stayed the course. Uh, now, uh, a lot of uh, the activity, I think, will involve uh, startups and uh, uh, tech things, because Indonesia, you know, it's got 270 million people. Uh, and uh, that includes all kinds of people who are not on the Internet uh, and at the other end of the scale, all kinds of very savvy uh, young people mm. in the big cities uh, who, uh, you know, can put together or have put together companies like this Gojek that uh, sure. became unicorns in a very short order. So you've got this tremendous range of skill. There is opportunity. There will be hopefully more and more over time, but uh, uh, I think quite a few old hands uh, always pull out the cliche that uh, that Indonesia is a place that has great potential and always will. Richard Bosak, thank you so much for being with us today, Director of Researching Southeast Asia. Thanks, Glenn. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.